Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things in the flesh, Lord, which distance us from you. I pray at this time, Lord, that for those who couldn't make it today, I pray, Lord, that they stay in tune with you and what your desires are. I pray that your people, Lord, may wake up for times such as these, that we might learn that we've got to stay connected to the Creator in order for us to sustain. So, Lord, I'm just asking that you anoint these messages, Lord. I'm asking that they get out to people. I'm asking, Lord, for the brother who contacted me today, my brother Stanley, and who was very honest about his walk, Lord, that you guide him and you direct him and you keep him. And, Lord, I'm asking for our brothers in Kenya, Lord, that are going through their situation, that they're battling, facing persecution, Lord, but yet their church is continuing to grow. I just pray, Lord, that you continue to pour into that church. I pray for our brothers and sisters in other churches and other places. I pray for those ministries out there that are really in the fight doing what you call. And I pray, Lord, that we all come on one accord to do your righteous works. For the church, Lord, you said the kingdom comes not by observation, but the kingdom is within us. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name at this very moment that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is not of you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you bind it, that you cast it down, that you cut it out. I pray that that if there are brethren that are struggling with the same things, Lord, I pray that you put them right back in tune, right back in step with what you call. Yes, God. For, Lord, you call for your people to be harmonious. You call for your people to be synchronized. You said that there is one God, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one Lord. Yes, Jesus. So we just pray, Lord, that you just keep us all in one accord. We pray that we preach the gospel, Lord. We pray that in spite of what we must do in this world, that your priorities come first. Yes, Jesus. For, Lord, pleasing you is what it's all about, you, that we might bear those righteous fruit yes, and Jesus. gifts to, to accommodate the things that you want us yes, to. Lord. Lord, so I pray that no flesh be heard tonight, no man's heart be glorified. I pray for a strong presence of the Holy Ghost to fall on your people, that this message be heard in great plainness of speech. Yes, Jesus. Lord, we just pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory, in your honor, in Jesus' name we Jesus pray. Name. Amen. Amen. All right. So tonight's study is going to be called The Symphony of the Lord. The Symphony of the Lord. And I think the Lord led me to this particular study. It was it was interesting. I began this week to listen to music. And um, it was just funny how the Lord was kind of putting things into my mind. First, he got me um, conscious of the music. And, you know, he was actually asking me, how many beats can you pull out at one time in this particular song? So I began to, like, count them. I was looking at some of them like, man, you know, um, one, two, three. You know, you're just counting them. But then there were these little ones that would come out of nowhere but you, I just began to think, and he was showing me that even if the little ones 
didn't have like their place, that there would be, it would still ruin the whole song. So it was just amazing how some sounds were so dominant that were, eh, 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 and other ones were like, eh. but it was just so beautiful how it just, it didn't sound like me, but I'm just saying that it was just so beautiful and put together that, man, the Lord was just telling me, this is what I want. This is what I want to see. This is how, you know, you sound when you're on accord with me, when you're doing what I'm supposed to, when you're supposed to do, and when the church is doing what it's supposed to do. So, you know, tonight I want to, um, let's look up the definition of symphony. This was interesting that the Lord gave me this. Uh, S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-Y. No problem. So we look up the word, the definition of symphony. I mean, God is so good. I mean, he can make any situation into a lesson. And that's why it was so amazing how he used the parable of the sower and, you know, the ten virgins. And he just tried to really give us things for understanding. But when you when you are in harmony with God, he can do those things to you. Because one thing we got to understand about our Lord, he is also a conductor. You know, he's a composer. He wrote the song. He made the instruments. And if he wants them to play for him, we're all going to play at the tune that he wants us to. Why? So we can get harmony. This is symphony, and it says, An elaborate musical composition for full orchestra, typically in four movements, at least one of which is traditionally in sonata form. So it's funny how it says it's typically in four movements, as in four Gospels, as in, you know, what we need to do to be of Christ. Sarah cracking jokes over there. So it says an orchestra uh, interlude in a large scale of vocal work. And it says something regarded typically favorably as a composition of different elements. So this is one example. Autumn is a symphony of texture and pattern. So, you know, when you look at autumn, you see like the trees and you got all the different colors. But if you were to remove some of those colors, it wouldn't be autumn. It would just look like spring, winter, or summer. But it's just so interesting how God has different flavors in the way he means for things to go. But it's also, um, you know, the way he does things. It's just so awesome. So here's the origins of the word symphony. I'm just going to run through this, and then I'll, um, we'll get right into it. But I love when God shows things. Because it's, you know, the funny things about music, and um, if you look at music and you look at math, those two things probably define God more than anything. And it's funny how you need both for them to interact. But music is timeless. Music is infinite. We could all come up with different beats till the day we die. Even if we live to be a zillion years old, we could still come up with different beats that would play. So music is infinite, just like God. But mathematics are too. You can count until eternity. That's why they call it infinity, because the numbers just constantly grow. So those two things are so interesting in how they define God. But here's the origins of the word um, symphony. The word symphony is derived from the Greek word symphonia, meaning agreement or concord of sound, concert of vocal or instrumental music uh, from harmonious or from uh, symphonos, that's another word meaning harmonious, 
the word referred to a variety of different concepts before ultimately settling uh, on its current meaning uh, de designating of musical form. So this is interesting because it talks about the word symphony meaning an agreement or a concord of sound. So, you know, I can imagine when God says in his word that the, the praise and music that everybody will start bringing in the future would be a howling to him. It would be nothing. He said it would just be dead. No worship, no praise, no anything. Now, some people would say, but yeah, this is about the music, but we got to understand too, and what we're going to discuss tonight is we are instruments of the living God. That's what I wanted to bring that night in the Lucifer teaching that in many ways, we are Lucifer, not to the degree of Satan himself, where he became, but what God made him for and what purpose. The Bible made clear in Ezekiel 28, he had musical instrumentation placed into him that he was able to, um, you know, praise. That was his assignment before the Lord. He praised. And that's why he understands music today to do what he does. But he also bared the light of the Lord. Lucifer means light bearer. What did Jesus call us? The light of the world. And we're going to find in many ways how the Bible uses us as instruments. So you see, we may not exactly, we may praise and worship the Lord and look for ways to do it properly. But what God wants out of every instrument that he ever made was a sincere heart. He talks about how there are so many things about us when we are self-serving, not on one accord, doing what we want, vain glory, how we just tend to destroy you know what God wants to put in play. Because the only music that God wants to hear out of his church is the Holy Ghost. Okay, that's the only fine tuning that we need to keep everything on one accord. Not man's ideas and the things that man wants. So it's just so awesome how the Lord was just showing this. Because it's like he tells us what he wants and then he tells us what he doesn't want. He says that we can be instruments of destruction or we can be instruments of righteousness. So you see, we do play a particular sound for the Lord. And I'll tell you something else interesting. Scientists have found out, um, you know, for about maybe 10 years now, that DNA has a harmonic ring to it. Your DNA, everybody's DNA is distinct one from another. But if this is true, then just imagine what Adam and Eve sounded like before they fell. And then what they sounded like, you know, um, after they fell. And why we need to be born again so that we can hear, so God can put that, make us his instruments again, that we can be heard throughout the world. What? Pushing the life, pushing his love, pushing his joy, pushing that hope that we all need to be as believers. So, man, this is just so awesome how we actually do have a sound to God. And that's why when he talks about in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, matter of fact, let's go there real quick. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Then from here, we're going to hear a little, a couple of examples of classical music. And then we're going to really get into the Word of God. It's like when we uh, finally get to the, the Lord's voice, it's like we hear His tune. Absolutely. And that's why it's sometimes throughout the day, Anna and I were actually listening to a video. And we were talking about, like, people in hell. You guys have heard that video and all that stuff before. But we were actually listening to a video, and I was telling her, and y'all probably heard me say this before, too, that when you hear things about hell, when you hear things about what God really wants and what his judgment is on people that won't, what's interesting is, is that you get this sobering up 
like you have in no other time. Isn't it funny how in the world you can laugh, you can play, you can joke, and you can just be K-sara-sara. But when it comes down to Christians that we saw in hell and all this stuff happening, all of a sudden you get this. You know what that is? That's sober. That puts you right back in the mindset of what's important to God? What does God want? And that's why at times we could be at peace with the Lord and doing our things. But then like Sarah said, you hear this tuning for, you know, like the Lord kind of alerts you. Hey, it's time to pray. Just out of the blue. You're sitting there doing what you've been doing, but then it's, hey, time to get into my word. But it's almost like he's ringing, trying to get your mind right back on, on one accord with his. So that's what's so interesting about God is he does play. And, and we're going to find out, too, because we did a teaching on this before about 440 hertz and 432 hertz. 440 hertz mathematically is the spirit of Antichrist. Okay, and that includes every song. I don't care if they mention Jesus a thousand times. If it's at 440 hertz, it is bad for yourselves. 432 hertz, which is God's number in creation, which is why, like we talked about, if you were to play music on um, um, like the right kind of classical music for plants and things, they grow. You know, everything is in line with this 432 hertz that God put in creation. But when it goes to 440 hertz, it becomes destructive, like rock music, rap music, all this other stuff. And you'll see plants wither away and die. So if the plants don't even like being out of tune with God, you know, how can we do it for so many years and then wonder why we're messed up? You know, like you need a creator to get back on track. So this is just so important. But anyway, let me get there. I'm running my mouth. But um, this is 1 Corinthians 13. And let's look at verse 1. And Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now we understand what charity is. Charity is that agape. That's God's love. That's that selfless love that resonates through all of creation and what God wants his people to have. That's why the Bible never tells you love yourself. It is good to love yourself, but the Bible says love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love thy neighbor as yourself. Don't worry about you. And that's, that's God's way of saying, if you don't worry about you, I'll take care of you. All you need is my love for you. You just love others. You just love me first and then love others. But that's being in tune with God. So he's saying here, if they have not agape, if they have not charity, they are become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Now, Paul's not saying this. The Holy Ghost is saying this. Inspired, you know, Paul's inspired by him. So when we don't come in that right love and in tune with God. Now, this doesn't mean you have to speak soft. This means the motives of your heart. How are you saying it? What do you really mean by this? Because there are people that could come and, and say all kinds of sweet things, but you know what they want? I want you to like me. See, I made everybody in here feel good so you can all like me. See, that's not in a pure heart. But he's saying you become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. No matter how much truth you bring, if it's not done in love, there'll be no edification. And this is what it sounds like in the ears of God. Like, oh, I wish he would be quiet. You know, but we've got to be in tune with God. So he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, 
So you can have all of these things so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. I am nothing. Now, um, last night, there's a video I was listening to you guys heard before. It was in a teaching a couple of years ago we did. It was called um, Lovers of Pleasures More Than Lovers of God. But the guy was talking about Christians that will end up in hell. But that man made very clear that if you are, um, you know, doing everything. This guy said he laid hands on the sick. He said that he did more miracles than his pastor. He spoke with tongues. He did all of this. But the Lord showed him while he was in hell, your vain glory is why you're here. Because you didn't put the emphasis on me. You put it on yourself. So, you know, he's saying that you can have prophecy here. That you can have all knowledge and all faith in God so that you can remove mountains. But if you have not that love that God wants you to have, if it's not done out of a pure heart or the right motives, he says you are nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, so that means giving God time, giving everything you have to the poor, and, you know, he's talking about, you know, your body to be burned, in other words, making yourself a sacrifice. Like if you're just out there doing everything for people. There are people like this, and they don't know Jesus Christ. And, you know, God is saying that's just as good as being an unbeliever. Why? Because you're doing it out of your righteousness. So, anyway, he says, And I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long. Okay, so that's ministry 101 right there. And is kind. Charity envieth not. So you should be happy for your brothers and sisters when they're growing in Christ, not looking for ways to destroy them or, you know, make them feel bad. The, the thing that we should be looking for here is, you know, not envying, happy to see people grow. Like when Carlin started doing things with the ministry, man, and other stuff he was doing, when he tells me experiences he had with the Lord that I don't have, I'm happy. Man, so what? Is there anything in it for me? You know, that's what I want to know. What did he tell you? But if you're hearing from the Lord, you should be happy for that. You should be joyful that God is sharing something. If there's something with Sarah or Anna or Christina, whatever the Lord is trying to show, man, that should be edifying. You should be glad that someone has this with Christ. But what do people usually do? Envy. Oh, he showed him. He didn't show me. I bet you he's lying. You know, he's just trying to puff himself up above. But see, people can get this way, which makes you an instrument, not of praise. I've been guilty in the past of being angry with people for certain things concerning ministry. Guess what? That's still not in tune with God. Okay? If someone does something to you, we should bring it to the Lord. But at times, I could find myself, you know what? That wasn't right. I think I'm going to give them a call. No, we should be praying about it. You know what I mean? Because murmuring and complaining with the children of Israel did is also a sounding brass in the ears of the Lord. Oh, you're complaining. You're forgetting about what I was telling you. You can imagine the Lord saying this. You're forgetting what I'm telling you. I told you to pray for your enemies. I told you to bless them who hate you. Now, I'm sitting here saying all this, but I know that right after the show, you know, the enemy will come and say things to me to tempt me to say something else, okay? This is just one of my faults. I'm confessing that God will work out with us, but it's good that we know this because you want to be the instrument of God and not a sounding breast. So he says, Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. You know one thing that I'm, I like to see at times when, well, I don't like to see it, it happens, you know, but... 
there are times before we actually, when I'm done up here, you know, and I'll see Sarah and Carlin actually coordinate with each other who goes first. Neither one of them assumes I'm going first or I'm going to do whatever. It's always, are you going or I'm going? But you see, that's harmony. Why? Because what if someone had something that was important, you know what I mean, to go run and do it and the other person holds back or, I mean, or gets upset, oh, I wanted to say this. See, so there's none of that between them. I mean, that's just an example. We all have something where we sing. Christina and I, we debate a lot because we're both very passionate about what we feel. But if someone else came in here to attack me or the ministry or say something about Christ, Christina and I will jump on him like a, you know, like a mad dog. Why? Because we have that harmony within ourselves. We may not like that what each other does, but one thing we do know is Jesus Christ is Lord. We love one another as brethren, and we know what God wants us to be as a unit, okay, as his body. So we all have this type of harmony between us, and it's unfortunate that even the enemy has harmony as well, okay? And that's why Jesus calls for his people to be outside of the world, not a part of it, because the devil does sing a song, and those who hear the devil love his music. And I'm not exactly talking about musical instruments. I'm also speaking of the fact that, you know, the ways of the world, the things that the world likes and it finds enjoyable and pleasurable, it's, it's bad to you. You know what it feels like when you hear music that you don't like? That's the way you feel when you see the world, when you see the world's philosophy, when you see the things that the devil tries to push out and, and, and sell us on, we don't want it. Why? Because we're hearing in 432, which is God's law and his love and his righteousness versus the devil's 440, destroy or do whatever you can to gain. Okay, so we're all in a different place. So it says, rejoiceth not in iniquity. Okay, so we'll never be in that place of, if we're Christians, happy with sin. We might be happy with some things until it's brought to our attention that this is sin. Like the one that we talked about a few weeks ago, that which is not of faith is sin. Okay, now that, that right there kind of wakes you up. Now what don't I believe that God can do? So you see, this is when God gives us his instruction like this, he's putting us back in tune with the composer, with the, uh, with the conductor. And that's why at times, I mean, can you... You know, let me just continue because I'm just so excited about this. So it says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. We should be glad to hear the truth, even if it cuts us up. Why? God is fine tuning those instruments that they might be vessels fit for Him to use. Okay, so that's important. So then He says, Beareth all things, believeth all things. These, this is believeth all things in God, not in, our, not in anything else. Hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, which is love, never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So what is he saying? There are some things that we will might be right with when it comes to even tongues, interpreting them. And then there's things we may think we know what God said, but he actually didn't say that. Okay, so this is what he's saying. Sometimes you're going to be off tune. Some prophecies won't come to pass. You thought it was the Lord, but it was really you. Okay, but, you know, things like that happen. Why? Because we struggle with our flesh, you know, and things like that. 
So that's what he's saying. But the gifts of the Spirit are around. They are here. But a lot of people will use this scripture to say, see, you know, that means it's going away. But look at 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So that which is perfect is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And when he comes back, there'll be no need for the gift of tongues because he'll be speaking to his people directly. We'll all be there with him. But he has not returned. So that means that the gifts are still there. Okay, so look at verse uh, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I don't know if anybody in here has heard the um, teaching we did yet, Flee Youthful Lust, but it's actually pretty good because when you are bound to youthful lust, you begin to make arguments for things that are, that are against God. Okay, why? Because there's a part of your childhood and your ignorance you want to cling to instead of acknowledging the things that God wants. I can see Carlin thinking, and we're probably thinking the same thing that we talked about, but you know what? It's awesome because however it gets out, you know, people need to understand that God wants us all to reach the place of growing up. Now, you know, when you guys first heard in here when I said rap music was bad, when I first heard it, you know, I was like, really? But, you know, when you heard it, there was a part of you that wanted to fight it because you said, all right, let me just Christianize it. All right, so if I just say all the right things, then, then God will be for it, right? No, God is only going to allow in heaven that which came from heaven. Rap, is, rap comes from man. It is not from God. It was born in, a, re, in a, a rebellious spirit of people talking about their neighborhood, wanting to fight against the system and all this stuff. It's got nothing to do with God country and western has nothing to do with Jesus either. R&B led more people into fornication and sin than anything, okay? So those things have nothing to do with God. That's the point that he's making. So when you become a man, you put away childish things. You begin to see that rap music is nothing more, okay, than people making nursery school rhymes to beats. Grown people making <laughs> nursery school rhymes to beats. And then when the Lord actually gets your mind the way it should be, all you hear is a bunch of nothing. I got this, I got that, I got Versace. They can't even they can't even pronounce the things that they're saying. But the point is, is that all they do is gloat in vainglory about the world, about sin, about things that are unrighteous. But you see, God wants us to be fine-tuned to the place of growing up so that he may play these instruments. So it says, For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face, now and now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So he's saying as he is known that we will know God this way. Right now we see through a glass darkly. Like if someone says, how does the throne of God look? You can take them to Isaiah 6, you can take them to Ezekiel 1, but you yourself have never seen it. So you can't say, no, this is exactly the way that it's going to look. Oh, I know exactly how Jesus looks. Guarantee you, you don't. You know, you might have some glimpses. A.A. A. Allen said when the Lord actually came in his closet, the one thing that he was reminded of, he looked away. He said, I just looked down at his feet or something. He said, because if I looked at his face, I would die. You know, so while he was seeking the Lord's instruction, he looked away and he was just writing and listening. But, you know, that's not even to do with this. Verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. So, man, you know how big faith is in the gospel. 
And you know how big hope is because it's what keeps us believing and following the Lord. You know, the only reason we put ourselves through what we go through now to preach the gospel and forsake things of the world is because we have that hope of eternal life that God tells us he wants us, you know, that he has for us. And charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Why? Because if you don't have that agape love, none of the other things even matter. You prophesied to make yourself look good. You know, you, you might have had the faith, but you didn't have the faith to believe God to the place of a pure heart. Okay, so that nobody knows scripture better than the devil, you know, but the thing is, is he, he teaches it in the, in the wrong heart for his own glory. All right, so let's hear, um, you would never believe where I got these classical um, beats from, but I like one of them a lot, well, two of them. And, I mean, it's beautiful music. It's uplifting. No, it's not Christian music, but it is music that puts you in tune with 432 hertz. So I know I'm going to get some pushback for this. What's that? Yeah, it's on. So I want to play this. Uh, Real quick, here's the first one. It's called Dance of Pales. You guys listen to this. Alright, here we go.
Okay, now with this song, did you guys notice how many beats were prominent, you know, and how many beats were subtle? But did you notice that the timing and the harmony was just there perfect? It's almost like if one person would have been out of step, out of tune, not where they should have been, they could have ruined the whole song. So it's funny how the mathematics and the timing, everything was on on accord. But it wasn't just a bunch of random beats. The composer found beats that worked well together. And they were all tuned at 432. That's important that we understand this because I've even recognized at time in ministry, when I'm not in sync with God, when I don't present the things that God is telling me to present at this particular time, I can bring it up later and it won't have that harmony or that ring that God is looking for. And that's why when Paul tells us to be instant, in season and out of season, that's God's timing. That's the perfect timing of God. Even when we come to bringing up um, the teaching we did uh, Sunday, it was called Wait on the Lord. I hope that everybody listens to it when it comes out, but you know, we gotta understand that God's timing is perfect. God is never in a hurry, no matter how we might look at it. Even when you think of the three Hebrew boys that were cast into the fire, now some people may say, Lord, you're waiting a little bit too long to do something, but God knows that he's going to show up at that appropriate time. But what do we need to do? Fall in tune with God. Whenever we've got rushing in our minds or anxiety or things that will stress us out, these things are not in tune with God. Do you think God is worried about how he's going to deal with Lucifer in the end? Do you think when Adam and Eve fell, God was sitting there thinking, oh, man, you don't think he knew that this was going to happen? He sees the beginning from the end. So we've got to begin to look at things from God's perspective. It doesn't matter. God got it all. Being in tune with God is having love, having faith, having his hope, and most importantly, being obedient. Because as that composer was telling everyone when to come in, if they didn't, it would have wrecked the song. But they were all on one accord. But when you look at, um, imagine somebody coming in with a mic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen up, listen up. You know how that would have threw everything off? Because they're not on one accord. It's a different spirit. Okay, so God wants us to be synchronized so that we can play and sound not like this. It'll be better, obviously, but... Here's another song, though, but the timing, I mean, it's just so right, but we got to get in step with God, because, you know, at times I can be kind of pushy, and I'm like, you know, guys, you know, we need to grow in Christ, and we need to do this and that, and I'm not saying what I'm saying is not true, but God knows the perfect time for each one of us. Why? Because he's tuning these instruments, but when we want to make somebody do something you know, that's not in God's timing, you're out of step. You know, you're really out of step because you'll get out there, you'll get jittery, you'll get nervous. Obviously, those guys have played together before. But imagine having someone that was just new with his instrument. Oh, you're going on tonight. Oh, but I don't know the proper beat. Well, figure it out. That would be a disaster for the person and God because it wouldn't bring forth what he's looking for. So here's another one.
when it stopped, they all stopped at the same time. When it said go, they all went at the same time. Now, we're not going to talk about symphony music tonight, okay? I'm just giving examples of when things are in sync, when things have harmony, they flow together. But when things don't, you know, there'll always be that part sticking out. And God wants to re, you know, um, he wants to perfect his church, okay? So let's get started. Let's go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. I know I'm going to get some pushback for this. I was going to say, well, you couldn't find a gospel song that you could have talked about with that? I could have, but we're talking about the symphony of the Lord. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But man, you know, something about symphony, it's uplifting. When you hear the horns, the trumpets. You know, all those things that make you want to get up and dance or run or work out or something. But you see how healthy that music is and uplifting? Because they said that even your cells, they just, they just flow with 432. That's why Rocky music is so inspiring. Not the later music, but that... All of a sudden you feel like, you know, because that's the 432 hertz that they're trying to bring people under. Alright, so this is Psalm 33. Let's get into the word of the Lord and let's begin in verse 1. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. So one, they're saying, Rejoice in the Lord. And then it says, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with heart. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Now, mind you, the Lord brought up here ten strings. What, what would these ten strings be if they were in our lives? The Lord first says, Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first five of the Ten Commandments is about your love for God. The second five of the Ten Commandments is about loving your neighbor. So how would we play this song? We would play this song or this instrument of ten strings by us being obedient to the two commandments that Jesus gave us. This is awesome. Alright, so anyways, he says, sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. So it says, sing unto him with a new song. What would a new song be to God? The new man. Because the new man is the instrument of the Lord, not the old man. The man who was born again, the man who was being led by the Spirit. So he is going to play a new song and play, and it says, play skillfully. So in other words, you know how the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. But to love your neighbor, all of it is about bringing people to the gospel, bringing them to the truth. So he says, play skillfully with a loud noise. Make it known. This is, <laughs> when, when we understand how much of this Old Testament and New is, re is relevant to the gospel, man, it would blow you away just to think about it. So he's saying with a loud noise, people should know about this. Let this be heard. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right. So what do we know? We're speaking of the word of the Lord and we're speaking of the gospel. Because right after he tells us what to play, skillfully and how to play, he says the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. 
by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So God spoke these things into existence as how they came. So, you know, evolution tells you they just got there all by itself. The Lord is making very clear here that he breathed everything into existence. Now, if you think about it, that's a kind of harmony and and, um, and uh, symphony of the Lord. The fact that he spoke things into existence. So the sound that the Lord gave, even if he said, let there be light, because he is righteous, all of creation became good. When he ate Adam and Eve, they were good, fine-tuned with his spirit. I promise, guys, we're going somewhere. Verse 7, He gathereth the waters of the sea together, as in heat. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So now he's talking about how the Lord created the world, but then in verse 8 he talks about that those of the earth should fear the Lord. It should be a fearful thing for us to fall out of step, out of favor, or out of tune with God. We should naturally want to flow with God. And just to show you how, you know, how in a deprived state we are, in many cases as fallen man, is that it should be natural for us to fall in line with what God wants. Do you know it's unnatural to disobey God? Do you know it's unnatural to have desires aside from God? But you see, because of the ways of the world, we've, we've learned to not fear the Lord until we became born again and not, and not um, listening to Him until He came and made us over. So you see, fallen man is supposed to be in tune with God. And that's why when you hear an atheist say the things that they say, when you hear people you know, mention things about, man, I'm my own person, Man, you're way out of tune. You have no idea what you are forsaken. And then you wonder why our lives are just in such a state. Because we're not giving it to Him. So we need to understand how to fear the Lord. What does the Bible say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom tells you how to do a thing. Knowledge just tells you what a thing is. So you see, when we fall in line with God's wisdom, He tells us what to do. All right, so he says in verse 9, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So it didn't take a thousand years. It didn't take 4.5 billion years for the earth to be formed. He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood fast. It was immediate. And the Lord bringeth, his, bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. So you see, when you're out of tune with God, and you're talking about the heathen here, the, the true definition of the word heathen means unteachable. That's the true definition of heathen, that you will not fall in line with what God wants. That's a heathen. And that's why the Gentiles, before the coming of Christ, were considered heathen, because they didn't have God's laws, statutes, and commandments. Even when the righteous prophets would bring them, most of them still wouldn't fall in line with it. Okay, so they're, they're at a different uh, tune. Anyway, let me continue. Verse 11. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. So, man, we've got the fear of the Lord in here. we got the word of God in here. And now we've got the counsel of the Lord that we're dealing with. Like I said um, a little while ago, it is difficult or it, it's um, unnatural for people to not fall in line with God. 
I mean, naturally, even a dog knows if I eat here and I was raised here, this is the house that I live in. When my master says go to the dog rug, I go to the dog rug. Even a dog knows the loyalty of his own family. So, I mean, you mean to say dogs got more sense than the people of God? But this is how deprived we are unless we fall in line and begin to love the things that God loves. Now, we can't write a list of things to do for God. All we need to do is fall in line with the Spirit. All we need to do is worship, praise, seek His counsel, read His Word, fear the Lord, because these things will keep us on the straight and narrow. This is how God tunes His instruments. Look at uh, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. So you see, that's a blessed nation when people will turn to the Lord. And that's why you look at America, economy's collapsing, homosexuality's all over the place, all these things are going on. You got atheism everywhere because man has taken his eyes off of God. When God counseled America, America was in good standing. Now that man doesn't want to hear from God, look at how deprived things are. I mean, when we use these instruments, imagine what a family unit is. A family unit is nothing more than a symphony of the Lord. What does he say? The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. And then you've got the children in all subjection to the family. Man, that's beautiful in God's ears to see that, that obedience. And that's why Jesus, although a good son, man, was faithful unto death, even the death of the cross. Obedient. So, you see, God wants us to be fine-tuned even in family. What is a church? A church is a congregation of families that come together on one accord under the one true God. But you see, when you got things out of step, when you got people saying, well, don't correct the child, don't spank them if they do bad, or blah, 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 now you got children in rebellion. When they told the woman, you don't need a man for nothing, forget the man. But see, this is how the devil took God's um, instruments and put them out of play. He made the man a whoremonger. That's how it first begins. He makes the man irresponsible at home, not doing anything that God wants him to do. He, he, the devil took the man from under the headship of God, so naturally that man would seek his own pleasure. You know, not want to um, be responsible, not want to do anything. And then what happens? The woman is so afflicted, so beat up, that she's now looking for her own independence, so the devil is laughing at this, and then all of a sudden, when you got husband and wife at war, who's watching the kids? So you see, the family unit is our first uh, place where we really do get to understand God, and that's why God gives us teachers, that's why God gives us pastors, that's why God gives us parents, so that we learn at an early age how to fall in subjection to what God wants. Because an obedient child to their parents who will become born again will have no problem obeying the Lord because that's what you've done all your life. But that's why the devil wants a bunch of rebels. Because when you're rebellious, you can't fall in line with what God wants. The devil knows that. He fell away because he wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to worship himself. So he stopped being the creation that God made him to be. So he knows how to get you to fall because he's already done it. Okay, so this is why we've got to understand that God wants us all in subjection to him. All right, so he says his chosen for his inheritance, 13. 
The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. So God is watching just how we would watch an orchestra, just how the composer or the, not the composer, the conductor would look at everyone that's there and trying to see who's in line. This is how the Lord is watching us from heaven. Am I making sense or am I confusing everybody? Okay. So he says, um, let's see, Beholdeth the sons of men, the way which thou shalt go, I will guide thee with mine eye. So you see, God guides us with his direction. You know what he sees. Verse 9, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with, in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. So as you can see, God doesn't want us to be like the mule or the horse. you got to bridle it because it doesn't have understanding and know what the things of God are. Mules are naturally stubborn. Horses usually go and direct it, but everyone who's ever owned a horse knows that horses can be, you know, out of control sometimes. You know, they can do what they want to do. But he's saying that, uh, let's see, oh, I'm in the wrong place. I actually jumped back to Psalm 32, and you guys knew that and didn't say a word to me about it. We're out of sync, but you know what? It fell perfectly in line with what's being said. Praise the Lord. Exactly. But you know what? Let's look at um, Psalm 32, and let's look at verse 10. Or verse, um, yeah, 10, because that actually fell in line. So he says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Did you see how that, what's that? It fell right in line with what was going on. So the Lord, again, is the conductor. You know, some people would say it's just your eyesight. But let's go. So, all right, so now we're back at Psalm 33. And let's look at verse 13. It says, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. So he's watching us. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioned their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And a horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. So as you can see how uh, anyone who was traveling would rely on a horse for his safety or his refuge. You see, God is saying, if you're relying on the world or anything aside from what he wants, it's a vain thing. It will not carry you like God will. And we've all been, you know, had a lot of upsets and disappointment in this life because we have believed that some things would carry us only to find out they don't. We always find ourselves one way or another coming to the Lord asking him if he needs another player. Lord, you need another vocalist. You need another whatever. Yeah, I got fired from the other job. They didn't like my music, so I'm asking, can I play for you again? But you see, this is how God works with us. But we've got to learn how to stay in line with Him. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. So as you can see, as long as we're following that conductor and keeping our eyes on Him, He'll meet every need. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
for our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. So just how they look at their conductor, you know, you got to pay attention to what he's telling you to do. The same way we've got to fall in line with what God wants. Why? So we can be those fine-tuned instruments of righteousness that he's looking for. Let's go to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Yeah, but you see how the Lord is a conductor? Took me right to a place. <laughs> Another spot. Man, God is good. Thing too with orchestra music, um, they have to know the music, but they have to know it so well that they can also watch the conductor. So they have to be able to do both. Absolutely, and each one of them are good at what they do. He said, "Play skillfully," as we heard on those in the symphony. Everyone played skillfully. That piano guy must have been playing with his fingers and toes. But, you know, he was right in line with what was going on. You know, the horns, they knew when to come in, the trumpet, everything. That's what God wants. And let's look at Romans 6. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he's saying that when we are fully dead to sin, that we will not sin because Christ lives in you. So when the Bible tells us our lives are hid in Christ, what he's saying, what he wants us to do is let it all rest on him. And that's why it says, for them that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As we read in Psalm 33, what does it say? And it makes clear that God's eyes are on the sons of, or the, the sons of children the sons of men, or whatever, in the earth. So when we're led by God, you know that we become the sons of God. Because a disobedient son, you know, we can have our moments, but like we talked about before, he has his time where he wants us to grow and get past things. Seven times he said to seven churches, to him that overcome. So we've got to learn to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Verse 3, Know ye not, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So did you not know that when we were baptized into Jesus Christ, that we were also baptized to die? We were also baptized to bear that cross, that we might be crucified, that Christ can live, just as the Holy Ghost lived in Jesus. Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you see, when he talks about that newness of life, that new song, that new and living way that the Word talks about, these things are pleasing to God. This is what Jesus came to do. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, uh, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So you see, if we truly die out to self, and we allow the Lord to grab this instrument and play from it and get it to do what he wants it to do, then we know that, you know, we're being led by the Spirit. Paul many times, remember when it said he was about to go to, to head east? 
to go and do something. And the Holy Ghost forbade him and said, no, I want you to head west to Macedonia because there's a man there that I want you to pray for. So if we ever become this sensitive to the Spirit of God that we obey him, God will do things like this, like he did to me a few minutes ago. I started off in Psalm 33, somehow went into Psalm 32, but the point was perfect. So God can even rewrite his Psalms if he wants to. They say, yeah, blame it on the Lord. You know it was you that made a mistake, but it just tuned in so perfect, okay? So anyway, um, <laughs> verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more death, hath no more dominion over him. So you see? Jesus had to crucify his flesh. Jesus became full of the spirit. So the death really had no more dominion over him. Jesus didn't fear death because he knew he would be resurrected. You know, what keeps us as Christians from obeying what God says in many cases? The fear of death. And not exactly dying itself, but the fear of what would happen to us in this life if we had forsaken some things for him. That bios, that life when it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's talking about that bios, that life, when you don't hate your own life and, and do what God says. In many cases, we can, you know, be off course. We fear losing our jobs. We fear where are we going to live? Will my wife continue to be with me if this happens? Will my kids think I'm crazy? All these things. Well, who will provide for my family if need be? You know what? That's up to God. But we've got to learn to fall in line with him. So you see, death did not reign over Jesus because Jesus knew what the purpose was. Man, it's not this life we're focused on. It's eternal life. Like Henry Groover, you know, the Lord asked him one day before Henry even began to serve him. The Lord said, I want your answer that if you follow me, um, will you forget your family and let me take care of them? You know, will you will you do what I'm telling you to do and forsake your family? And Henry Brewer was like, um, you know, he went to bed because he said he was troubled by it. So before he left the hotel that morning, the Lord said, "I want your answer. Like, if you are you gonna, are you going to trust me to serve me and I'll take care of your family?" And Henry Brewer said, "Yes, Lord, I will." And and you know, he has countless examples of his family not having things. And, you know, he didn't know how they were going to make it because he was away or whatever. They were short on money. One night, he and his wife were in bed. Son walks in the door with a handful of money. Daddy, the bird man, said to give you this. No lie. This is what Henry Groover said. Stack full of money. You know, and he said, praise the Lord. But you see, God can provide like this if you believe. God doesn't forget his promises. We forget the promises that he told us, I mean, that we, that we made before him. But God is never wrong, and his timing is perfect. Yes, Sarah? I watched this documentary earlier about the Christians and the jihadists in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And there's constant you know, pressure and persecution over there for people who are Christians by the jihadists, you know, the Islam. Mm -hmm. And one guy, when they came into their village, they had to you know, they flee for their life. This one guy, uh, they actually caught him, and they said, "If you don't convert, then we're gonna like we're gonna kill you." Mm -hmm. And the guy was like, "Well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, so we're gonna kill him." 
and they turned him over and they took a sword and they started like stabbing him in the arm, in the back, in the neck, and then they tried to bury him and burn him with leaves and he wouldn't you know, start on fire. But him and a few others said, you know, one woman was like, the guy held a gun to her and she's like, I'm ready to die. Go ahead and shoot me if you want to because I believe in Jesus Christ. But they're born in the persecution. So that they understand that we believe in Jesus Christ because they were joyful for the persecution because of what the Bible said about it. That's right. You know, so it just makes us wonder, it's like, what's taking us so long? That's how real it becomes, and that's what persecution does. Persecution, like if you were to have an orchestra, <laughs> you know, like if you were to measure the church today as an orchestra, you would have those guys who were just playing, sitting there playing in tune, and you'd have a bunch of rappers running through there, you know, country singers and everything running through making noise, coming up with new suggestions on what they can do. So when God heats the furnace, will everybody, you know, those who are in tune with God will play skillfully. They will stay on one accord. But those who are like sore thumbs, sticking out, don't want to give their lives to the Lord, doing whatever, that, that heat is going to get too hot for them because they were only faking it. They weren't really fully in it. So what does God do? He uses that to purge the church, okay, to the point where those who are not in tune will fall away. And those who were lightly tuned but not yet that serious, they're going to actually become fine-tuned because they're going to seek God even more. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I know I need you now. I know I made some errors. So you see, God always means for persecution to be good. But this fear of death that we have... The persecution is going to take that away because you're going to recognize this world does not want me. All I'm doing is I'm behind enemy lines, serving the devil, trying to get by from day to day. But when the true persecution comes, God's going to call all of his that play in his orchestra back in line to do what he wants them to do. Because some of us are getting off tune. Some of us are coming up with our own things. But there's only going to come a chance when, you know, the persecution starts things get crazy, things get out of control, that some are going to step back in line with God because we know we need Him, and other people are going to keep on going their way because they were never serious. So that's what this is about. But you see, we don't know how much power there is in not fearing death. You truly don't. you got no idea. Even, um, I hate to bring this up, but even like some martial artists, people that were samurai, I looked up some of them, and even the Roman soldiers, people that were at war, they said that knowing that they could live or die meant nothing to them. That you've got to put your mind in another place that we're trying to claim victory this day. Now, there was a, a book that I suggest no one reads, okay, but there is a point when I was in the world, I used to read a book called The Art of War which they stole so many things from the Bible, it's not even funny. But the one thing they said was that when a soldier was placed on good ground, that that meant they had the higher ground that they could actually fight in war. They would have, if you got the high ground, most likely you were victorious. Why? Because gravity goes against those who, want to, who have to fight uphill. Okay? There was bad ground, meaning that you were in the valley trying to fight whoever was on the mountain. But then there was this place called Death Ground. And they said that if you were to put a soldier on Death Ground, what they've realized is, and many military leaders have done this, that they put their, their soldiers in impossible odds. 
because when their backs are against that river and they can't turn back and all they have is the enemy in front of them, though they might be few, they will come out conquerors. They become transformed. They become fearless fighters because they've seen death and death is staring at them and it's like, what have I got to lose? I may as well go all out and do what I'm supposed to do to claim victory. So usually when an army was pushed on death ground, they became fearless fighters. So much so that the opposition would kind of back off because they, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's one thing to fight to conquer. It's another thing to fight for your life. And that's what makes the difference. It's much more serious. So people like, you know, Anna's, you know, her grandfather had to run for his life. I mean, you want to expound on that or whatever, or you, you're right. All right, so anyway, but, you know, she came from a family of persecution. You know, there are a lot of people that come from these types of places, and you know what? They usually come having a strong faith. They usually come believing God and being serious about the whole thing. But as Christians, you know, here we kind of, we believe God, we love him, but it's just not that serious for us yet. No one's kicking in that door doing things to make us, you know, fearful or, or more serious about our faith. So I know we're supposed to be talking about instruments in the symphony of the Lord, but you see every now and then a persecution puts God's people right back in step where they need to be. But when you lose the fear of death, you'd be surprised what you will do for Christ because Jesus didn't fear death. So that's why he could go to a place with 6,000 Pharisees sitting there looking at him, and he could call them hypocrites, vipers, dead men's bones. That's why he could be on the cross, still allowing salvation to a thief on the cross, not even worried about himself. Why? Because it's not about death. It's about life. But see, if life, eternal life, doesn't become that real to us, and we're still looking at this life, Man, it's hard to serve the Lord. It's hard to be harmonious and fall in line with what He wants because we've got too many wants of our own. But like I said, all it takes is a collapsed economy. All it takes is for the enemy to come breathing down our neck and then you begin to say, you know what? They tried to arrest me at work. So man, what does that tell me? The devil runs the workplace too. I'm kidding myself about my career, my future, and all that I want. Because this is only temporary. But what God has is permanent. It's the only thing that matters. I'm not saying quit your jobs, okay? I'm just making the point that we've got to understand that eternal life and losing the fear of death by having Christ in us is what will take us through. It'll, it'll keep us in line with God. And that's why God doesn't mind every now and then putting us on the front lines. You know why? We need it. We need to sober up. We need to become more serious. We need to not to lose the perspective or sight of the goal. So every now and then, God will put you in a place where your boss will say, you know any Christians? Because I'm going to fire them when I see one. And you know you. Um, well, I haven't seen any lately. You know, but God will put you in that place to where you can say, yeah, well, I'm one, and I don't appreciate what you said. We need this. You know what I mean? It's training. Exactly. So that's why death had no dominion over Jesus. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But he that liveth, he liveth unto God. So you see, you can die out to sin only one time, but you live for God through eternity. 
Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us sin, therefore, let us not sin, sorry, therefore, reign in your mortal body. So don't let sin reign in us. And then it says that ye should obey it uh, in the lust thereof. So you see, God calls for obedience, but sin also calls for obedience. Who will we be obedient to? Remember, we're, this is the devil's world. We're just passing through. But God has commandments for his the devil has commandments for his. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So you see that? God wants us to be these members of righteousness. But what he talked about up until this point was about things that would keep us from being instruments of God. I don't know a better one than death that keeps Christians from serving the Lord. I don't know a better one than that that we think, man, I can get fired, I can get arrested, you know, everybody's going to hate me. You see, all these things keep us from being with God, but what God wants us to be is instruments of righteousness and death itself not reigning over us. Okay, so he says... In verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are under the so ye are not under the law, but under grace. So you see, God is making clear it takes grace to get through this. Adam and Eve needed grace. They needed to have more kids. They needed more time to, to make it right with God. But if they were just spiritual beings, God would have had to damn them forever. So you see, he put us in earthen vessels starting out. That was a safety valve for you and I, because if we had been like Lucifer, man, you damned forever. So you see, God is so wise in how he knew that they would fall, but he had a backup plan to send his son to redeem us. What a God. So, so if you know that he knows all, then you know that we should be obedient to the conductor, because he's only going to make you come out right. Alright, so verse 15, What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are. To whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. That's a question. So you see, whom every you yield your members to, that's whose servants you are. Jesus says we cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other. You will either despise the one and, and, you know, love the other. But he says you can't serve God and mammon. Now, this is not about mammon tonight. This is about being an instrument of the Lord. Okay? If the conductor is telling the guys what to do and they're playing at their own beat, at their own time, whatever instruments they want, then they're serving themselves. But you see, if you fall in line with the conductor to play, it's to make the music harmonious for all who might be listening. So you see, a Christian's life is selfless. It's not about you. It's not about, oh, I'm going to play even louder so people can hear me. You'll be out of tune. So you learn to play together in God that his music will be refined and perfect for all who will hear. All right, I know I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but I want to make the point. Let's go to Daniel 3. Daniel chapter 3, 
talking extra loud tonight because of that fan. Trying to be heard. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, it's hot in here. Yeah, we don't know how it all, you know. All right, so this is Daniel 3. Let's look at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof was six cubits and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So as you can see, Nebuchadnezzar, which means um, Nebo is my refuge. So Nebo is another name for Nimrod. So you see Nebuchadnezzar's um, refuge is Antichrist. Okay, it's Nimrod. That's, that's what it means. But he built an image of gold. Okay, in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So we understand here because we've been over this a lot. Nebuchadnezzar is a type of antichrist. And what is Nebuchadnezzar doing now? calling his orchestra together okay he's looking for synchronization and he's the antichrist but notice he called everybody that is in society today the governors you know they're like the government captains there's your military judges there's your law and justice system treasurers there's your bankers the counselors there's your education and the sheriffs are those who enforce the law and all the rulers of the province so as you can see, that's all of society he's calling to obey the Antichrist. Now you know for all of us, one of us fits in these categories somewhere. Okay, if you're not a cop, you're in school. You're not in school, you're part of law. You're part of something. Okay, everybody has a place here. And the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province were gathered together to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the sultry, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So what is Nebuchadnezzar doing? As we talked about, he's calling a symphony of his own. He says, guys, I'm going to have some music out here, and I'm going to play some music. And everyone that is not in attendance, he's going to explain what's going to happen to them. All right? So let's understand this. Verse 6. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth not the same hour, be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Okay, so you see, when Nebuchadnezzar commanded this worship, this is a way that the enemy uses you and I to worship. See, now some of us may say, I don't worship the Antichrist, I live my life. But we've got to understand, if this whole system is Antichrist, you do worship. And that's why when Jesus was being shown all the, all the kingdoms in a moment in time, what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan, for I serve the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So what was the devil trying to do? Give Jesus a place in his little world. Now I'll make you a, a president, or whatever you want to be. What do you want to be, a king? Whatever you want, I'll give to you. But as you can see, Jesus says, hey, 
I'm only serving the Father here, and Him only will I serve. So if Jesus had partaken in any of the things that were a part of this society, and I'm not, you know, I'm trying to bring this right so that I don't give the wrong impression, but if anybody had, any, if Jesus had any role in this, he would have been serving the devil. That's what he was making clear. That's what this is about. All right, so he says if they don't worship, they will be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, sultry, and all kinds of music, all the people and nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said unto the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. Now, I want people to even understand this. If Nebuchadnezzar is a type of antichrist, and as we talked about before, God has his music fine-tuned at 432, and the devil's music is, is fine-tuned at 440, which pretty much destroys yourselves. Nebuchadnezzar is trying to get everyone to bow down to the music that he is bringing forward. How does the devil get this world to become rebellious and after him? It's through music. Exactly. Life imitates art. So you see, when you've got TV, when you've got music, these rappers and all that they do, kids, they always make it sound real nice and happy and joyous. I got gold. I got this. I'm sleeping with this hoe and I'm sleeping with that one and all this and that. But you see, there was a time, if someone were to, were to say this before that music came out, people would say, that's disgusting. Who would sleep with somebody and do all these things, especially out of marriage? But if you hear it enough and you become enchanted and it plays and the music's good and then you're seeing all kinds of beautiful women dancing to it and shaking it and then you got these guys walking by, I mean riding by in nice cars and you little Jimmy from the projects, you know, you play with dirt, holy pants and everything else. Who are you going to try and be like? You know, so the devil through his music, like he got all of society. You know what I'm finding out? This thing is not just touching the youth. And in this place where I work, at the hotel, there's a bar next door called Jackknife. Okay? I've noticed that when they got heavy rap music playing, cursing, everything carrying on, you will find 80-year-old grandmothers dragging their old beat-up husband in there so they can shake it and dance. This thing is, is, is hit an all-new low. You got grandmothers with no morals whatsoever going in there. Come on, they dancing before they even go in, you know? And the husband is just, you know, he's looking all out of place. But what I'm saying is the devil is blurring the lines of the young and rebellious and the old and noble. They're all coming together. Why? Because they're all listening to the music which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So you see how God has his way through the gospel, through righteous living, through the spirit, that we fall all in one accord with him. The devil also has his orchestra playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You turn off the TV and the radio, it's coming through the walls. Cars are passing by with it. But you see, they're slowly encanting the people to get people spellbound that they may fall in line with what? 
the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, what can you be if you listen to worldly music? Antichrist. That's all it does. It glorifies the world. It glorifies filth. It glorifies everything that is against God. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is commanding of everyone in the province. All right, verse 11. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set in the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, because of Daniel, being Daniel's friend, they had favor with Nebuchadnezzar. They were appointed to special positions in the province as people that were of respect. Okay? But because they didn't fall down and worship, you see how everyone tells on you, hey, you're not in line. You're not in the symphony of the devil. You're seeing things a little bit too different. You're a little weird talking about this Jesus character and prayer at work. That's insane. So you see what I'm saying? This is how the devil is doing his thing. So let me make the point. But you see, these guys were in it. But you see how the devil eventually came looking for them? God is going to let the devil do this because he wants to know, are you playing for my orchestra or are you obeying the orchestra of the enemy? And God's got a right to do that. Why should God be, you know, trying to figure you out and allowing you never to profess who you love? If you're with somebody... You want that person to love you and to tell other people that. But imagine being married, and when you leave home, you take your ring off because it's bad for work. You know, married people usually don't get promoted and stuff like that. But imagine doing that, and your spouse is wondering, you know, hey, I noticed you didn't have your ring on today. Yeah, I know, but the job says, you know, married people don't get promoted. So you see, I'm only... Don't be upset. I'm only doing it because it's for the job. Now, think about it if you're a husband or a wife. How does that sit with you? Is that okay? I mean, come on. So why are we making it okay with God? Why are we asking for God to accept something that we wouldn't even do? You'd be like, nah, man. You know, first of all, I think you're fooling around. That's what I really think is going on. But, you know, it raises so much speculation. It takes so many things out of place, like the husband and the wife being one and trusting one another. So we're only one when we're here. But when I'm in the world, I take that ring off because now i got to be one with the world. How does that sit with you? Think about it. So I know why Jesus said what he said about loving two masters, drinking from two cups, Paul says, because it's, it's unfaithfulness. So I'm not saying this to make people feel bad about what you do. I'm just saying, ask the Lord that we be faithful where we are because these guys tried to be faithful to God with where they were and the devil called them out. I need to know who you are. Okay, yeah, you might like us now but let's see how we'll go if I'm pitted up against your God. Now let's see if you really do love God. God is right for this. Alright, so he says, I said all I had to say this, 13, that Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and his fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, It is true. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up? So you know, uh, verse 15, 
Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if not, but if ye not worship, or worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And you know what? This is why the devil has become bold in the world. Because the devil knows Christians are afraid of losing the life that they have here. Because the devil's been called. If the devil's eventually going to hand us that pink slip, all right, I want to know in here who is pro-homosexuality and who's against it. I want a show of hands right now. And if you don't comply, there is a pink slip waiting for you in the office. You choose. See, the devil's going to call us out, and we better be ready to make that stand. Because while they were working in the province, they were okay for now. But you see, he said if they didn't, they would be cast into the furnace. Now you know this furnace is about to be heated seven times higher. That seven is symbolic for the Great Tribulation. The final seven years, three and a half years of peace, people will fall away. The other three and a half years, annihilation. So you see, if we don't comply, we get pushed into the Great Tribulation. Everybody's waiting for the Great Tribulation. You know what? It's here. But how many of us have enlisted in war? How many of us are playing in God's orchestra? And how many of us are in line listening and bowing to the beast and his music? See, you can go into the Great Tribulation right now if you go out on the street like John the Baptist. Repent ye all, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and all these things go. How long do you think that's going to be before they say, all right, lock him up. We've heard enough. This is the end of his life. You know, and the Lord may have you in prison where you get to minister. He'll bring you out. He may even have an angel touch you and get you out of the prison. But the thing is, is we've got to recognize, are we a part of God's orchestra, or are we a part of the orchestra of the enemy? I mean, you know, this is something we've got to grow to. So I'm not telling anybody to do anything, you know, just rush and do whatever. But I'm trying to give us a perspective of why God says what he says. Why God sees what he sees. Because when we leave home after our devotion, after our worship, after getting in his word, we go and we dance to the tunes of another piper. And you, you, you see what I'm saying? That's what this is about. Am I confusing everybody? <laughs> you know, all right. So he says, um, Who is this God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So you see how they're not afraid of this. And he will, de and he will deliver us out of thine hands. So what are they doing? Professing the Lord. I think your little 10 cent job means something to me. I'm after what God wants. 18. So I, I do want to say this too. It is possible to be in this world, but not of this world. You see that? It's possible to be here. But when your number is called, which it will be called, you better know whose side you're standing on. And that's why it's important to be sober. Because if you start thinking, man, the boss really likes me, he gave me a promotion, and he came over to my house and ate dinner with us, and yeah, he believes a little different, but he's still a good man, and I see how he cares for my wife and kids, man, you're going to fall away. 
right? Because you should be preaching the gospel to him if he's over your house. If he's that such a good pal to you, ask him to play for the symphony of Christ. You see, that's what this is about. But if we don't get that perspective, we'll get skewed. We'll get, um, what do you call it? Perverse. Confused. We'll stop thinking about whose side we're on here. We'll start defending the world and not Christ. So this is what he's telling us. All right. So he says in um, verse... Uh, 19, 18 or 19? 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then um, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his face, his visage, was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego. So you think your boss likes you? Go there and preach the gospel. You think you got good friends? Go and preach the gospel. Because you see everything turned on these guys. Alright? So he says, Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it wanted to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. So you see, they're in the tribulation. Why? Because they stood for God. Verse 21. Then these men were bound in their coats and in their hose and in their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So they were in their coats, they were in their hosing, they're in their hats. So, you know, they're actually thinking another way right now. They might be standing for the Lord, but they still somewhat got the head of the old man. They're wearing the coats of the old man. These guys are being bound by that which was, you know, over them. Now think about it. If they were serving the world here, in some ways, the world has got their mind. Because they didn't mind going to work every day until they got tried. When they wore these coats and this hosing, this is what they were covered by. This is what sustained them. This is what protected them. This is what gave them comfort until they got into the tribulation. So you see, when we get into the tribulation... It won't be the comfort of the world that sustains us. It's going to be the Holy Ghost who is the only comforter who can hold you and I. So they fell into the trial, into the, um, into the furnace, bound. All right? Verse 22. Therefore, because the king commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So this is going to be typical, too, for the end times because... For those atheists and all those people that hate Christians, for those homosexuals that can't wait to fight against God, they don't realize during this tribulation, you're going to be a casualty too. You're going to later learn that the Antichrist doesn't love anybody but himself. You were just a fool playing the game as an instrument of his to go against the people of God. So you see, as those men threw them into the tribulation, you know, they were slew at the same time. Why? Because the only people that are going to make it in this time will be those who have the Holy Ghost and that are on keeping their eyes fastened on the conductive. All right, let me make the point. You know, people are like, will you stop stopping? All right, verse 23. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. You know what I recognize here, too? There were three of them. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, death, burial, and resurrection, king, priest, 
and um, death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, like the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But look at how this is perfect praise before the Lord. This is the perfect sacrifice to present their bodies a living sacrifice. And they were not conformed to the world, but they were transformed by what? <laughs> the renewing of their minds. All right, so this is awesome. Let me continue. Um, 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Now notice he asked the counselors. He asked the educated. They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So you see, in order for us to walk with Christ, we're only headed to one place, our own crucifixion that Christ can live and work through us. Now that's the new song. That's the perfect sound before God. As a faithful bride that will profess him no matter what. Verse 26, And Nebuchadnezzar came near uh, to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Oh, now he's singing a new song. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of not just God or your God, the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the head of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So as you can see, the beautiful thing here is they had professed God and all the province got to see this. So what does that do? Give God glory. Give God the only praise that he deserves, that he is king, priest, king of kings, lord of lords, all the things that he claims to be. But if your bride is not that faithful to you, then your bride even doubts that you can take care of home too. Think about this. But if you're faithful and you get to profess him, man, that only proves God is right. Man, God is God. Because there were three people here who weren't thinking of self, only about singing the tune or the, or the song that God wanted them to sing. Verse 28, the Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. So you see, God sent his servant, his angel, who we know is Christ, because angel is another word for messenger, but it says, for them that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. So they changed the king's rules. Why did they? Um, why do you see homosexuality in the workplace now, or even in the church? Because no one stood up to trust God that the king's word might be changed to serve the one true king. We don't stand for God's word, so it's no wonder the devil is walking all over it. But if we would just stand for God, if we would just believe in Christ, we can change the king's word to serve Christ. Man, look at this. The, the most powerful man in the nation is now yielding to God. But see, we don't preach the gospel to these people because we believe, man, they won't want it. 
you know, they're doing good enough. They're powerful. Yeah. No, they need to be saved too, including the Pope. Who is the Pope other than an old man that needs salvation? Maximum potential. That's all he is. Someone that needs Christ. Who's the president? Someone that needs Christ. But we got to be this bold for our God to serve him and do what he wants them to do. And the new song, that's the only thing that makes God feel good. Let's look at 1 Samuel 16. been on one accord in here. It's been beautiful. You can feel, man, that togetherness. Because you can imagine, if we're actually playing this song for the Lord, if we're actually, you know, having these beautiful, um, making this beautiful music before the Lord, because we're allowing Him, allowing him to use us, why wouldn't the Spirit of God want to fall on that? Do you know what that, make God, that makes God feel like? I mean, when someone's performing before you and they're playing skillfully and they believe in you and everything and they're giving you worship out of a pure heart, man, that pleases God. Yeah, play on. You know, matter of fact, let me give you strength to continue playing. Let my joy be in you so you can continue praising. And so that's beautiful before God. But imagine if you're a bunch of nasty, stinking rappers on stage wandering around, everybody shouting. You can't hear what any of them are saying. I mean, that's not pleasant before God. I've seen rap music in church, and all they do is everybody put your hands up, you know, and they're marching back and forth, but it's not for Christ. They're doing what Lucifer did. They're standing in front of God seeking their own praise. But you ever notice when a choir sings for the Lord righteously, none of them are thinking of self. All they're doing is uplifting Jesus. But when you find rappers... Man, they want everybody hands up waving. Now, they're not waving to the Lord. They're waving to you. This makes me feel good that I know how to work a crowd. But you see, when you sing praise and worship, it's all for God. And if anyone wants to join in, so be it. You see what I'm saying? If anyone wants to continue in the praise, but there is no praise for you. That's the new song. That's the only song that matters to God, is being a vessel that is fit for perfect praise. 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. Let's look at... Mm, Alright, let me, let me just say this before we go, because I don't have time to read all this. But David was a faithful man before God. Saul liked David. Because David just slew Goliath and did, you know... I mean, well, no, he didn't slay, slay Goliath yet. Actually, 1 Samuel 16 is before 1 Samuel 17. Anyway, well, David was like a faithful God towards the Lord. and I mean, towards Saul. And Saul used to have problems. And the Lord would actually um, allow David. Saul, Saul used to ask David to come and play for him. Because Saul's mind felt like it was, let me just do it. Let me just read this. So let's start at verse 13. Okay, so it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. 
So Samuel rose up and went um, to Ramah. Now you remember 1 Samuel 15, Saul didn't obey God. Remember that? God told um, Samuel to tell Saul, all right, now when you go and slay the Amalekites, don't leave anything that the, that the Amalekites have. Don't bring back any offering, anything from them. God didn't want it. But what did Saul do? He slew the Amalekites, but he kept the king Agag, and he took some of the flock so they could make sacrifices to God. So Samuel was very upset because he said, God didn't ask you for this. He said, don't take their sacrifices. And he said for them to destroy all of the Amalekites, not some. You know, destroy them all so that way God can get the glory. But um, Saul said, well, I did obey the Lord. I brought back some offering and I, you know, and I kept the king as a trophy. And what did Samuel warn him? He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. And he said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So Saul lost his anointing because he wouldn't obey God. So the Lord had Samuel now go and anoint David. So this is what we're reading right here. So Saul now knows that David is soon to be the anointed king whenever Saul's reign is over. So Saul is kind of upset about it, okay? All right, so uh, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Why did this happen? Because Saul fell out of tune with God's orchestra, okay? He fell out of line with what God's commandment was. So instead of the spirit of the Lord being on, on uh, Saul, it lifted off of him, and now he's got an evil spirit upon him. Verse 15, And Saul's servant said unto him, this is David, I think, Behold now, an no, this is someone else, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee, let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player, on and harp, and it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. So as you can see, he said, send, that, send someone who can play skillful. What do we read in Psalm 33? A skillful player. Now you know... David was a master in the heart, but the point is, is this is also the gospel. This is also when people are not well, they need to hear the song of the Lord. They need Jesus say he came and he was anointed to do what? Set the captives free, bind the broken heart. What other music can do that than the gospel? Or even spiritual music that uplifts God. You know when you hear that right kind of music, it puts your mind in another place where you just... Man, you just feel like you're in the heavens, you know? Like you're hanging out with the Spirit. Like it's present. It's come down and anoints you. Exactly. Because yeah. mm -hmm. you're in tune with God. God's music will always put you in tune with Him. Back then, people used to sing and, you know, and praise the Lord and, you know, feel good. Now you got in church, everybody feel. See, that's a different spirit. Right. That's a different spirit because everybody's trying to feel it in their own way. You got to be in line with the Lord. So, you know, you're going to say something else or no? Uh, okay. All right. So, you see, they're looking for a cunning player within heart that plays well that can remove the evil spirit. So, what is David? Just a servant of the Lord. Verse 17. And Saul said unto his servant, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. 
Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse of Beth of the Bethlehem, the Bethlehemite. <laughs> so you know this here is also saying something because he said a son of Jesse. Jesse's a type of God the Father. David is a type of Jesus Christ. They were both in Bethlehem, both born there. They were both from the tribe of Judah, and they were both kings. That's something to understand, that David is a type of Christ here. So they said, the son of Jesse, that is cunning and plain, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, <laughs> and the Lord is with him. Now this is a Christian we're describing here. Look, let's read this again. He's a Bethlehemite. That is a cunning, that is cunning in playing. So he's good with the gospel. He's good in praise. And a mighty valiant man. Aren't Christians supposed to be? A man of war. Who are we warring with? The devil. <laughs> you know? And a prudent and prudent in matters. So he has a great reputation and a comely person. He's a pleasant fragrance to those who he's exposed to. I was told when I was a kid, you can either be an odor or a fragrance. It's up to you. Now, a fragrance comes from God. Because, you know, an odor or a fragrance from the devil is like, you know, putting perfume on a pig. You know, it still stinks. So, you know, a perfect fragrance before the Lord. I'm getting too excited. Let well, me calm down. that's so true, though, because... Uh It's true. And I've seen some clean, proper people want to present before the Lord just so they can be seen. You know, you've seen them. They're ready to drop the mic and, you know, and bow. See, that stuff stinks before God, too. You know, when you find yourself, can I get an amen in here? Why do you need an amen? You looking for praise yourself or just, just praise the gospel, man? You know? But you get a lot of people, oh, I don't hear nothing. Can I get an amen? I don't hear the brothers in it. Man, preach the gospel. Because you want to be validated by people. God hates that. Jesus never said, can I get an amen? Jesus said, that's the way, and you better walk in it. Like the conductor would tell his people, that's the way we're playing tonight, and if you don't like it, find yourself another place to play. This is what's coming on at this hour. we got to yield to that conductor. Hands tingling. Verse 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. So you see, a righteous servant will be with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David uh, his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. So, you know, David type of servant, loving the king, which was Saul, and became his arm, armor bearer. Who are we supposed to be for Christ? He put the armor on us to do what? Exactly. He put the armor on us to do what? To war. To be a part of that symphony. To preach the gospel. To set captives free. So David loved him. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God 
was upon Saul. So you see, God put that spirit on him. See, a lot of people don't think God can do stuff like this. God doesn't give you evil. God steps back and evil comes upon you. So as long as we stay in tune with God, we're good. All right, so he says, And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, and David took in heart and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So you can see, when we are preaching the right gospel, and we are those instruments of the Lord, evil will depart. It has to bow the knee. Why? Because you're that instrument that is playing for God. Now there is a later account, you guys can read this in your spare time. Um, oh man, this is going to be so rough, because we're going to run short on time, but there's 2 Samuel 6, 1-23, through 23, where it talked about um, David danced mightily before the Lord. They say he danced before the Lord with all his might, all his praise and his worship towards God. And I wanted to read the whole thing concerning that because his praise and worship even upset his wife, which was Saul's um, daughter. You know, that um, like Saul only gave him that daughter to try and hurt David. But, you know, David continued to praise the Lord, but his wife hated the fact that David was letting it all hang out for the Lord. You know, so, but David said, when he, um, when she confronted him about it, he said, next time I'm going to dance even mightier and with more praise before the Lord and do what the Lord says. But that's what this is about. So even when we preach and we see demons around us get agitated or, you know, even sometimes it can occur in study and church or whatever, you, you can feel it. When, when you are praying before the Lord or you're teaching and the Spirit is on you, you can literally feel someone get agitated from something you say. Am I lying? You can feel that spirit perk up. You know what? So what you trying to say? You know, but good. You know what? Preach the gospel even more. Bring understanding and love, but continue to preach. Why? Because you just hit a stronghold that God wants to set free. And you can feel it in the room. You can even hear people's thoughts when you are in tune with God preaching the gospel. Am I lying? <laughs> you can hear what that person didn't have to say a word, but you know they don't like what you say. They might say amen, but the Lord is telling you they don't like it. That's why we're going to Matthew 6 next <laughs> to get to the point. Yeah, okay. With the nice subject, it's like because we're in tune with the Lord and they're in tune with the devil. Those two don't synchronize. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can actually feel Amen. You know, because I know we got to go through this quick. Ephesians 5 tells us all about the things that God wants for us. And it says to sing before the Lord, remember, in our hearts, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Righteous living is the perfect tune for God. You know, it's something we all got to strive to, but we don't have to write down a bunch of things. That we want, that we need to do before God, yield to the Spirit. He's our conscience. He tells us when things are wrong. We got to ask ourselves, you know, bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ. And um, there's another part here too. I was trying to find it. Yeah, it's First uh, Samuel 18. Don't go there. But First Samuel 18, the very the, the the chapter later, Saul becomes jealous of David, and while David began to come and play before him with the heart. Saul took his javelin 
and threw it at David to try and kill him. And David kind of ducked and got out of the way and left the presence of Saul. But you see, this can happen. Whenever you become that anointed one for Christ, there's a lot of pastors throwing people out of churches because of this. Because that pastor knows God is favoring you. And you know, all I've been is a clown for all these years. So I don't want you in here because the people are now yielding to you. But we've got to learn to yield to God. We do. But Saul later, even after all David did, took a javelin like a spear and tried to, tried to kill David with it. This will happen. So you're going to get two reactions. You're going to have people love the gospel. You're going to have people hate it. There is no in-between here. All right, so let's go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, let's look at verse 1. And if you can, get Revelation 14, because that's where we're going to conclude. This is Colossians 3. Let's look at verse 1. And he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So not only were they talking about being risen with Christ to seek affections and things above and not below, but it says it sits on the right hand of God, which is Christ, which is the straight and narrow way that few people find. Verse 2. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You know what you got there? Harmony. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. idolatry. So covetousness is greed. Evil concupiscence is kind of like lustful, wrongful desires. Okay, things that are against God or greed, you can pretty much say. He says those things are idolatry. So they play at another frequency. Now, here's another thing to bring up concerning music. God's music, glory of God. Man and Satan's music, glorifies self. Glorifies what you can have. It pushes covetousness. It pushes greed. It pushes idolatry. The things that are not of God. Alright, verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So you see, God's children follow God by the Spirit. Children of disobedience are all of the above. For um, Verse 7. In the which ye also walked sometime... When ye lived in them. So we can all say that we lived in the bottom of the barrel at one point, down there with the heathen in all types of filth and disgust when we were in the world. God slowly pulls these things out of our lives that we be right. Verse 8. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now notice, Nebuchadnezzar's people 
worshipped the image of Nebuchadnezzar. The image of God, these people are now worshipping, which is Christ. Okay? That's the new man. And then it says in verse 11, Where there are neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So what is Jesus doing? He's taking people that don't know how to play their instruments skillfully. He's taking people that don't know the word, don't know his counsel. And he's bringing them all under this. Teaching them. He's synchronizing. That's what he's doing. He's taking the children of disobedience that will come to him. And like Psalm 33 says, teaching them to play skillfully. Showing you how to walk, how to live, what to do, how to think. Why? So that we fall in line with what God wants. And that's why he says, there's no barbarians in this. There's no Scythians in this. There's no Greek. There's no Jews. Christ is all and in all. So what is the conductor doing? Teaching us how to be like Christ. Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, these are God's people, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, uh, and forgiving uh, one another, sorry, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, seek so also do ye. So you see how everything is being in sync, like we talked about earlier in um, 1 Corinthians 13. When he says that they sound like a, a tinkling cymbal or sounding brass, it's because they have not love. So you see, if we come in love, if we come in Christ, we truly do sing that new song. And above all of all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let not the peace of God rule. I mean, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Uh, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Then he later goes in through, into, from 18 to 25, how husbands and wives ought to treat each other with the children in subjection. So you see, God makes his orchestra in obedience unto him. So this is awesome. So last scripture of the night, let's go to Revelation 14. And we're going to begin at verse 1. what we've talked about, these are the only things that God loves. And this is going to prove it. Now you remember Revelation 13 talked about the mark of the beast. It talked about the Antichrist. All that would worship the beast. All that would fall in line with him. All nations, kindreds, tongue, you know, tongues and languages. They would all fall in line with the beast. And they would receive a mark whose names were not written up in the book of life. Now we're taking it to Revelation 14 and verse 1. This is the end. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So these are the obedient, those who follow Christ, 
they have the seal of God. And this is the end, verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. So people need to stop playing thinking that Jesus got a voice of, you know, he said he is a voice of many waters, and so do the angels. And as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. So no one can sing the new song unless we've been born again, unless we've been given over to Christ. And they're going to explain why you can't even learn this. You can't even learn the song. The 144,000, no. Because they're just singing it with joy. They're expressing it through their lives. You know, they're doing all that God calls them. So if you were someone that tried to come in, that would be like one of us hearing those songs, you know, that we heard earlier, the orchestra, and we get so excited, we're just going to go and grab something that we don't even know how to play, and we're going to try and get in line with it. You won't be able to. Why? Because they are fine-tuned of the conductor like we ought to be before Christ. You're going to make a fool of yourself. Look at verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women. So I want to make this clear, too, because some people will say, Oh, well, since I've been with a woman or I'm married, I'm not going to be able to sing this song. No. This is talking about those who were not married that allowed themselves to do that. Because if you're married, you're in tune with God. Okay? So when it says those who have not defiled themselves with women, it means those who are living unlawful outside of God. Also, it's symbolic too for a whore. The whore of Babylon. The whore that sits on many waters. The whore of the world that all languages, nations, multitudes, and tongues obey. Those people will not be a part of this. Okay? In verse, um, so, okay, they were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So, what are they? They are born again, pretty much. Christ formed in them. Verse 5 And in their mouth was found no guile. For they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having an everlasting gospel. You see how it always goes back to the gospel? To preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, look at this, Fear God, and give glory to whom? God. For the, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So you see, this is the world versus those who follow God. Those who are of the world, those who defend the world, those who love the world. That's all fallen down. And God's judgment is coming, you know, and those who were of God that gave it to him, they're going to sing this new song. They're going to be happy, all right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to make another point, too, here where it says, uh, you know what, let's just, let's look at verse uh, 9. 
And it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment descendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast or and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So as you can see, this is kind of like that fire that we were talking about. You see how those people that took the mark, they couldn't wait to throw the Christian in there. But now they're getting ready to be burned alive because they have not a comforter. Only those who are of Christ will be redeemed. So I don't want to read the rest. The point is made tonight, but just like Ananias and Sapphira, you guys read uh, Acts 4 in your spare time. Remember towards the end of Acts, they were all breaking bread on one accord, giving everything to the apostles, selling everything they had, remember, so that they can all be on one accord as everyone had need. So you had two people, Ananias and Sapphira, out of step, out of tune, bringing another song, bringing themselves, well, let's save a little bit for us, and let's, you know, sell it and give them that, but we'll have some for us. And God struck them dead right on the spot because they were out of tune with the conductor. Mm -hmm. So I just want people to understand that we've got to fall in line with the Lord. This is not just a message for anyone listening. This is a message for me. This is a message for everyone. We need to stay in line with what God wants so that we can be those instruments of praise and be a part of the symphony of the Lord. So I just want to tell people with that, I love you. Hopefully I didn't confuse you too much. I was a little excited about it, so maybe I was reading kind of wrong and throwing things out there. But, you know, if anybody needs prayer, also, you know, um, at the end of this, you know, I feel the Spirit upon me right now. So I just want to tell people, follow the Lord, do what He says, let's get in sync with the Creator, and let's love and worship Him because He's the only one that is worthy of all praises. Okay, so whoever's going to go next can praise ye the Lord. I'll sit on the couch. It's going to be a little Talk about the furnace. I know, right? <laughs> All right, let's go to John 14, verse 15. Usually your couch is like hopping. me keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter that he might abide that he might abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you so I love how it's just like we've talked about this before it's like no matter how many times you can read something the Lord will give you new revelation and this right here, what the Lord spoke to me on, is, is that obviously the world at large does not know who Jesus Christ is, not truthfully. It does not know who the Holy Spirit is, but we do. 
So in other words, if we have Jesus Christ living in us, and if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, then we are supposed to take them to the world. So that way they can actually see who they are in us, because we are supposed to have them in our, inside of us. So it's like, how does the world know who Jesus Christ is today? Through us. He lives in us. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. So the world doesn't see Jesus Christ, but we see him because he lives inside of us, and he changes us. Because I live in you, ye shall also live. Ye shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I love him, and will manifest myself to him. So as we were talking about tonight before, it's like if we have the commandments of God in us, we're going to take those commandments to the world because that's the love of Jesus Christ. Not looking at people downwardly in their situation, but saying, you know what, you need Jesus Christ, I love you. And people may even say, how can you love me, you don't even know me. Because Jesus Christ loves them, he wants to say. Second Peter, see. But there are false prophets also. prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by, by reason of whom way of, the, of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a creature of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live godly. And deliver just lot vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Alright, so, looking at this, um, just another reminder, uh, alright, we think about God, you know, and just Him being super loving and everything like that, and sometimes I think we just forget 
there's definitely a fullness to God, you know, and it's it's nice like to be on the side of His lovingness, but also too just recognizing that if you're not actively staying with Him, then you're not necessarily on that side. Like, of course, He has grace for people that you know accidentally stumble and it happens sometimes you know but we ask for forgiveness and there's things that sometimes might be buried deep down but he'll work it out of us but um just remembering too that he is a god of judgment and you know he's not a liar so if he talks about hell and literally it says to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished so I think of being reserved as like almost untouched, you know, and I know a lot of people look at people in the world, especially with like, I don't know, like music industry and things like that, looking at them as, you know, they have all this stuff, you know, looking at their superficial things that, you know, we as people see things and just think like, yeah, God's got to be there, but that doesn't necessarily mean God's there at all, you know, um, their treasures are actually in that stuff, so... Um, yeah, so they might look untouched mm-hmm. until that time. And also, too, just another thing, I know people sometimes just feel like, I don't know, just the weight of whatever that they're going through is too much, especially when the devil comes back around with things that you used to struggle with, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it says, um, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. So if you just look to him, he'll provide a way for you, you know, and just know, like, no matter how enticing or whatever the devil tries to make that sound to you, you already know through your experience that that, it, that it's no good, you know, and if your heart's really open to not yielding to that temptation, God will truly help you out. But if you fall, you can't blame God, you know, because he didn't let you. Right, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Yeah, um, so I feel this too just kind of speaks speaks with like our current world's condition, um, just following after, you know, just our own flesh and walking after that. And their only desire is them like they don't i don't know a lot of the products that these people put out people that are fans of those things it's almost like you don't really see that those things are actually just constantly taking away from you even though you might be like entertained in the moment Mm -hmm. um those things are really for their own profit and that's it and they're just profiting off of you Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. So the angels that are stronger than us don't even, you know, try to contend with the Lord because they know. Um, But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to write in that in the day time. Spots they are and blemishes supporting themselves sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. So I think of a lot of people too, um, it, like unstable souls, like 
the only way to be stable is to be stable inside Jesus Christ. So unstable souls is pretty much everyone that doesn't fall in line with Jesus Christ, you know, and they're constantly, that's the devil's mission, um, just constantly trying to keep you snared there and keep you happy in that little false reality. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his inequity, the dumb as speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with the tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. So these people are broken cisterns. They can't hold that everlasting water. It's going to leak out. And they're blown with the wind everywhere that they go, like light clouds. And the darkness is reserved for those people. So for, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. Doesn't this sound a lot like our own government system? Um, and also, too, like the music industry, entertainment industry, they're no different. It's the same. Um, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter in is the worst with them than the beginning. So already escape the pollutions of the world and then with the knowledge of Christ and turn against him with the gifts. All right. For it had been better for them to have not to have known the way of unrighteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And this isn't like, you know, to feel sorry for those people because those people, if you're enlightened with Christ, it says it's impossible to go back, you know, so that's a true choice of you just deliberately being disobedient, wanting to serve yourself, and God's good, so he'll let you do that um, but it but it has happened unto them according to their true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire And, you know, something funny happened tonight, and I think that it happened for a reason. You know, there was a lot of information that was brought forward tonight, and I think with that fan, if it wasn't for it, I, would, I wouldn't have been yelling and skipping over my words and trying to make things happen. But I think the Lord really calls for us to be on one accord. And I think, you know, this message was a theme for a lot that he wants to bring forward. So I just praise the Lord for that. We were all on one accord tonight. We are all in the same heart, right spirit. We know that God is good. And, I mean, you know, there's no substitute for him. We truly have to be servants of his. We got to love the Lord more than anything. Any volunteers to pray out tonight? Christina? Follow if you want. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together in unity, in the same spirit, in the same mind, Lord. Thank you for sending down your anointing, Lord Jesus. And 
using Derek to work through and to deliver your word, Father, and send a great message about being in tune, Lord, being in tune with you, Lord, like a symphony, being at the right melody, Lord, dancing with you, Lord, in the right spirit, in righteousness, Lord, where we're bearing the right fruit, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just pray that throughout our lives and what we're doing, Lord, we're devo- praying to you and praising you in worship and spiritual songs and hymns, um, singing you new songs that we come out of that and we continue to hold on and fight for that presence of your Holy Spirit that guides us and becomes bold out in the world, Lord Jesus. And when other people get angry at us for praising you, Lord Jesus, I pray for that same mightiness that David had out there, even when his wife was upset and offended with him, Lord Jesus, I pray that we just even praise you louder, praise you you longer, Lord Jesus. We go out into the world and let them know your name, spread the gospel, Lord Jesus, and go out there trying to search for souls that need to be saved, Lord Father, no matter who it is, Lord. Don't let us take away our fear. Let us have perfect love, Lord, the perfect love that we read about tonight in 1 Corinthians 13, Lord Jesus, that unstoppable love, Lord, that we follow after you, Lord Jesus, that we don't just go out speaking the gospel for ourselves, but we go out there seeing the people who really need Jesus, Lord. We all need Jesus so much, seeing the souls that need saved, the deepness, the darkness that they are entrapped in, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you burst through us the light, Lord, and onto them and let them see you within us, Lord, and let... Uh, No flesh be glorified through this, Lord Jesus. Let it not be about us, but let us sacrifice our flesh so that we can serve you righteously and faithfully and truly, Lord Jesus. I pray this upon us all, Lord Jesus, and I pray that we continue to um, fellowship with each other so that we can, iron can sharpen iron, Lord, and we can grow with you, Lord Father, as you pour down your living waters onto us, Lord Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord, so much. for being here with us, Father. And Lord, I just want to thank you for what you're stirring up right now, Lord Jesus. Um, We can feel, Lord, if there's healing, Lord. I just pray that people are bold, Father, and just step up and be able to receive what you have for us, Lord, because it says, by your stripes, we were healed, Father. So I just thank you that you give people that understanding and faith to truly believe that, Lord. And Father, um, I just want to speak to the Jezebel spirit, Lord. I just want to bind that spirit, Lord. Um, I just pray that an awareness will just break out throughout the community, throughout the churches, Lord Jesus, throughout our government, Lord. I just pray that that spirit will be brought to light, Father. And thank you, Lord Jesus, um, for continuing just to enlarge our hearts and bring us closer and closer together and just preach the full gospel, Lord Jesus. And Father, I I thank you that the false teachers, Lord, the false prophets, they all have their reward that's coming, Lord Jesus. But I just thank you that you continually expose them through the people that are willing to preach the true light, Lord. And Lord, we know that it's not always fluffy, Lord. We know that it's not always sugar-coated, Lord Jesus. But we just thank you that people will stand up and still preach the truth regardless of what kind of reactions come with that, Lord Jesus. So thank you for helping us take a stand as the government is continually pushing a perverse, you know, um, doctrine, Lord. So we thank you for that boldness as we walk into our works, Lord, our communities and people now. In your mighty name, I pray. Thank you, Jesus.